0: thanks for tuning in to the CoLive podcast, where we explore learnings, insights, and discussions with co-living operators and professionals from around the world. If you're a first-time listener on our podcast, just a quick reminder that CoLive is the world's largest co-living association with the goal to connect, educate, and empower co-living professionals. To join our network or find out about future meetups and other events, please visit colive.org. That's C-O hyphen This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Young Global Living, the platform for your co-living space based on your preferences. With Young Global Living, you can find a new place to live, discover new work opportunities, and connect with other community members all on one platform. Young Global Living wants to make experiences the new kind of living by matching co-livers with like-minded communities and providing co-livers with local perks where location is no longer a barrier. Feel free to look in the show description for more info on Young Global Living, as well as a link to their website, Young Global Living, where you want to be. Let's hop right in to today's episode.
1: Hi, everybody. Today I have with me the fantastic Claire Florin. And one of the original co-founder, Aya Koliv, the association that she ran until the end of uh, 2018. And she's now the head of R&D, which is research and development for Keys AM, a real estate investment firm based in Paris. And She's going to tell us a little bit or a lot, actually, I'm hoping, about Colive, how they started, why she was one of the co founder the vision she had, and also a lot of what she's doing right now because it's very interesting, very relevant with what we do and the world of colive and I absolutely love having women in the industry. So welcome, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Kate Claire. Tell us a little bit about your story. What brought you into Coliving, and why are you staying in the industry?
2: Yeah, um, so it's actually a little bit of a long story. Uh, it goes back to, it goes back to 2014, I think, when I moved to New York City. I actually met Ryan Fix, who is one of the other co-founders of CoLive, um, when I moved to the city, in so New York, because I was looking for housing, and he was running Pure House, which was one of the first co-living operators in the U.S. At the time, my budget for housing was obviously very limited. I was still a student and uh, all I could afford was a unit without a window a uh, kind of a paper box in an industrial building. I actually loved that room uh, or that apartment rather, um, but I couldn't accept that it was the only solution for me or for people like me to live in the city. Pure House offered a solution, rooms in beautiful, comfortable, shared co-living apartments. And that's that's sort of when and how I got um, to know co-living. It was also on um, a lot of people's lips at the time in real estate. And I I was uh, doing urban planning in real estate. So I was reading about it. um, And soon uh, professional organizations such as ULI, Urban Land Institute, started to write about it. Um, so it became sort of a, a very serious topic. I was interested in as a planner and and as a real estate developer. Um, it actually did not work for me at Pure House. I, I did not stay at Pure House with Ryan. Um, but we became friends and, uh, soon-to-be colleagues. I um, rented a large apartment in front of one of his buildings and started replicating his model on my own and then adding my unit to his network of apartments. So we got to brainstorm a lot together um, about co-living, about how it could grow, and our apartments, I guess, um, were our sandbox, right? Around the same time, uh, the, the concept of co-living caught the eye of one of other another friend of of ryan fabrice who's the third co-founder he um, was doing real estate investment in france Um, and so the the three of us continued to brainstorm um, about how we could take part in this new co-living industry and that's that's when we started to realize that there was no central hub for knowledge and knowledge sharing in the co-living world, right? And, and so at that time, everybody was reinventing the wheel at every project. It seemed very inefficient uh, and hard for every entrepreneur in, in the sector. Um, so we worked on that. And a couple of years later, we created CoLive. At the time, it was called Pure House Lab.
1: I love to listen to this story. You know, mm-hmm. I've interviewed uh, Ryan and I've interviewed, um, well, I had a chat more than interview really with Ryan and Fabrice. And every time I hear it, I always get shivering because I, I, I so love co-living and anything that's got to do with co, co-working community, you know, all of that. And I wish it's one of those movement that I wish I was there at the moment, you know, living it with you and, uh, Experiencing it for the first time and really understanding, hey, we need to put something together to kind of like, you know, get the community together, get the whole, you know. Yeah, um, exactly I I,
2: I admit it was pretty exciting. Um, I'm sure. And I I left a really good job to to start co live because it was extremely exciting and promising.
1: I I, I totally understand it. So I mean. You've kind of like tapped a little bit into that already, but right now, you know, fast forward more than 40 years, what does Colivi mean to you still personally and professionally?
2: Yeah. Um, so probably the same thing, but if we try to separate the personal to the professional of it, um, personally, I think it's a great way of living. I enjoy it a lot. I've experienced it in many forms. Um, and I actually now miss it dearly because I have a child and I live in Paris, and there's no co-living solution for young families here. Um, and I have to admit that even though I have a great apartment that you can see it behind me um, and a great partner, I do feel a bit lonely and stuck. Um, for example, I don't. I no longer have the option to. Uh, hop on a plane or a train and head to the seaside for a week of remote work, right? Wh- which I used to do when I was living in co-living because both economically and um, logistically, it was feasible. Um, now, I mean, the child is adding a layer of complexity, of course, uh, but even without it, it's, it's hard. Um, professionally, I think that co-living is a great opportunity to debunk housing. Um, and to promote more variety in how we design and operate our homes. For me, it's just one of the many variations of housing that we can imagine. Uh, But it's probably the first, um, you know, solution or different solution that's um, thriving and and expanding worldwide. So it's very exciting. Um, And and it does address some of our cities most important challenges, such as affordability, flexibility, loneliness, stuff that we've been saying over and over since we started uh, Cure House Lab and Co-Live, um, but it, it still is a solution that works in that direction. I totally agree. And I, I am so grateful that
1: you've actually raised that, I don't want to say issue, but the point of saying how as a young woman with a child, you know, and a fantastic partner in a fantastic apartment in a fantastic city, you still sometimes feel, I don't want to say that it's not enough, but that's sort that sense of loneliness, belongingness and being and wanting to be together. I absolutely agree. I think that the more you experience it, the more you will miss it more and more and more. And, I know that there are there is a couple of French actually developers that are looking into doing more co living, uh, which is targeted for families. Now, will they be able to do it in Paris? I don't know. You know better, because obviously you understand the estate. You know the, the the you know the whole estate section. You know, sorry, you understand better the whole sector and the French market. But I, I love the fact that they're really thinking about that. I, I, I do think about a lot of my friends. So uh, I decided not to have kids in my life, but a lot of my friends who, ha- especially if you are an expat or yeah. if you moved from one city to another, and so you don't have that sort of circle of, you know, family and aunties and cousins and stuff like that, that, you can tap into all the time. Your friends become that. And having having a situation where you live surrounded by many of these people in very, very close proximity, maybe even in the same building, make your life so much easier because it's very tough.
2: Yeah. And and it's quite well documented, actually, in sociology, Um, whether you are an expat or somebody moving from elsewhere or just an urbanite. cities have made us lonelier is that yeah does that work more lonely <laughs> um probably because they isolate us right and that's also probably because both in our work and in our homes we uh, individualized the way we operate and and despite the famous saying you know it takes a village to raise a kid or a family we uh, are sort of trained or um, led to believe that we can do it on our own um, when we may not have to. And I think um, I think that's becoming more and more visible and that, that the COVID crisis has hit us pretty hard. <laughs> people do want relationships with their neighbors and people around them. Uh, even though those people are, are not close family members, You know, they can still be something. And I think co-living uh, creates that that relationship, uh, and it's very valuable. Totally,
1: and, and you're absolutely right. I think the cities, in my personal, uh, obviously opinion, I, I don't, and, and because I've lived in London for such a long time, I can see a lot of loneliness in London. And one of the reason is because often you live in an area, you work in another area, your colleagues come from a totally different area. And you mix a lot with your colleagues, right? Um, And it's very difficult then to keep it because, you know, like it takes you maybe 45, 50 minutes to travel across town to go to just someone's dinner in their house or something. And you think, oh, do you know what? Can we meet in town center? And it's like, oh, but I can't travel. I can't make this. Nah, I don't want to take public transport on my day off. And that's what it becomes. And you're absolutely right. co-living and again, co-working are really targeting this because now with the fact that we don't necessarily need to go into the office mm-hmm. or commute that much to travel to a place, you can work in a co-working space next to you, which means everybody there is from around your area. And so the relationship that you will, you know, forge and you will strengthen will all be more local. And that is, I think, what will make people's life better.
2: Yeah, I agree. But um, I would add that it requires management and community management right it doesn't a shared space on its own is not enough and ryan used to say actually when he was running uh, pure house that surprisingly to him co-living appeared to be a better solution for introverts than for extroverts i don't know if we have enough data to prove or unprove that um, but it doesn't really matter that the i guess the lesson here is it's the management and the way you're able to bring people together without forcing anybody um, is, is the job, right? That's what matters. And that requires professional community management, which is part of the value proposition of a co-living or a co-working, not part of the value proposition of a regular roommate situation or a shared office. Yeah,
1: totally, I agree. Um, I've seen that happening in the co-living I run. And totally yes. Sometimes the introverts are the one that uh, most of the time, actually. So I totally agree with Ryan. Are the one that you know thrive more and actually re- really flourish into maybe like people that then take more initiative and decide that they want to have more stuff happening in their community. It's um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when what what you and Ryan thought back in the day is uh, still so relevant. Um, but I wanted to tap a little bit more on what you're doing right now. Um, so you are the head of R&D, which is research and development for Keys AM. Uh, Keys AM is a real estate investment firm based in Paris. Um, would you like to share a bit more about your role and yeah. how much obviously Colivian is emerging in the real estate sector?
2: Yeah, so maybe let's start with it. I got into this job because I knew about co-living, at least I guess. Maybe we should ask my boss, but um, I think it helped. Um, And my role right now at KEYS is to identify and test new solutions and new strategies for real estate, as simple or complicated as that. And the idea is for us to go through that experimentation process so we can decide whether or not we should scale those solutions in our investment portfolios, right? So it's really a strategic role where um, we go back to the user's needs, which is very common in every single industry except real estate. Uh, We study users, we study their needs, um, we identify opportunities, develop solutions or or study existing solutions and then roll on, right? Roll out. Co-living is one of those solutions, obviously, even though for me at least, and I think for most of us at Keys, it has completely graduated out of the R&D stage, right? It's not a research and development uh, product anymore. It's, it's just a product that's developing. Um, so we, um, we do work on co-living in the sense that we do try to invest in it and develop it further. Um, we invest in both companies, operators, and real estate. Um, but it's for us, it's almost reached its uh, mainstream stage. I mean, not, not yet, but uh, it's getting there. I, uh,
1: it's really nice that um, I don't. I don't know how. How can I put this on? I love seeing, in a sort of way, cross pollination when it's about like, you know, you just said before that, you know, your, your boss in a sort of way chose you because you knew about co leaving. I love that. I love mm-hmm. seeing how, uh, you know, I have been in the real estate sector as well. And I, I think there is so much more that we can do. And, and considering it is one of the sector that has like maybe the highest turnover <laughs> on one of, you know, on some of the investments, it's sometimes shocking to see how ancient, in a certain way they are and i absolutely love the fact that you know in this case obviously keys asset management in your case but also many others now are coming up to the young kids let's say or to the new kids in the block and say well actually you know you might not know a lot about these things but you know a lot about these things and we if we can combine them together hence the cross-pollination your skills with my skills i can teach you things and you can show me you know that's I think are the real estate companies that will be future proof, and the other yeah, ones will. I,
2: I do believe so too, and and I think on that regard, Keys is a is a really great company. We we do value uh, the, the product, you know, so the actual experience that we develop for our users a great deal. That's what made the company, and um and we are um or we try to invest for. Resp- with responsibility, right? Um, we um, we have quite strict values in terms of a sustainability and ethics, and I think that also um, votes for better real estate. In fact, the, some of the objectives of our um, R&D department are to look um, into the impact of new economies on real estate, especially the sharing economy, uh, but also um, in France, there's something called Économie sociale et solidaire. It's um, sort of um I actually don't know how to say it, Uh, but, you know, people helping out, (laughs) helping each other um, and, and uh, basing their business models on equity and sustainability more than maximizing capital. Um, Another objective is to obviously understanding uh, societal and demographic trends uh, so we can anticipate further changes in cities. Um, which uh, goes to the next goal, you know, is to identify resilience goals for cities. And that's something you said it real estate is ancient in, in every way possible. Um, And real estate investors are not used to think about their jobs are as um, further building the city. Uh, But I think it's absolutely central. Right. And so pushing, Further and further those sustainable development goals applied to cities, development and real estate are essential to our jobs, to my job as R&D um, director at Keys, but also I guess the, the entire real estate investment industry. And co-living, co-living is perfectly in line with those goals. Totally,
1: absolutely. and I. It's it's changing so fast and it's changing globally it's not any more question of oh how are we going to make this thing in paris because this is what people from paris want it's like no 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 people are going to travel everywhere people will come in from everywhere you know you have to have a global vision about so if you don't have a global vision Totally, you would be- prefer- Yeah,
2: in uh, fact, on that matter, um, this is a conversation I've, I've had with a number of co-live members. Um, I've recently worked on the launch of the new impact investing fund. And impact investing is quite a strict methodology, right? You're trying to produce positive impact on people on the planet. And I was surprised, but happily surprised, to notice and learn that in order to truly produce impact, um, as per the, those international standards, you need to have a global vision. You need to prove that the impact is considered a positive impact by the global community of experts. And that's, that's really new and interesting because yes, sustainability and uh, equity are international goals. Totally. Totally but
1: also we are becoming more and more global anyway, as a world, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm 43, 44, (laughs) 44. So I remember when I was, you know, 18, 20, uh, that's when the internet just started, but you're talking about big, big company with the big servers and the big dial up computers, just with the, you know, the black screen with the green writing very similar to, you know, like that time and Matrix mm-hmm. kind of like Matrix kind of style, um, and you know, I I I thought that the whole world looked exactly like my little village in Italy. I mean, yeah, of course, I had some sort of books that show me that some other parts were different. But you were not as aware as you are right now because now you've got the technology on your phone. You can tap and you can look at anything. And if you right. don't like here, yeah, you go like Anna. Oh, no, that this is not for me. So I'm now going to, I don't know, Madrid. I'm going to Bangkok. I'm going to, you know, Lima. I'm going to wherever. You can go anywhere. And and once you go there, you want to find certain things. You want to do certain things. You want the society to be in a certain way. And therefore, we're becoming more global for me, for that reason.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Like you were saying the user is
2: demanding that. Yeah, and I, one of my uh, biggest challenges or areas of, thinking um right now is exactly that is are we i mean yes we are all globalized and we have access to information that can takes us everywhere but there's there are still very important contrasts uh, within each of our countries and um, not everybody is able to travel from one country to the other some people aren't just capable of that emotionally or economically. they And, and we have to account for that too. Um, and I think that's something we need to keep in mind when thinking about co-living is, it's actually one of the biggest criticism I've received when we started co-live, is how are you going to prevent the kind of ghetto, you know, Le Corbusier kind of building where you have a building that houses people that look alike, um, but look different from the neighbors and live in a close community. And in in that sense, I actually believe, and maybe that's the difference between me and Ryan Fix, for example, that um, co-living is very different from the communes, right? Or intentional Mm. communities, which are made for people who look alike to live together in some sort of a closed world. And I think that's very detrimental to the health of the city. Um, I I believe most of the operators now have... um, understood, if I may say so, or believe that they need to be open onto their neighborhoods and integrated in the cities that they live in to survive. Um, But for me, that's that's a major impact goal. Totally. Uh, Very interesting because it's, um,
1: in a sort of way, is also bounced me to the next question that I wanted to ask you. I mean, we've already had a bit of an overview about what we think might happen, but are there any opportunities that you actually see in the co-living scene?
2: Yeah, uh, there are <laughs> a lot. Um, since since I since the beginning, since I started to be interested in co-living, I've had my focus on two evolutions. First one, and it's definitely the most pressing one, is affordability. Um, co-living. Affordable co-living exists, first of all. Let's put it right there. (laughs) Not every co-living is sort of a premium form of housing. But it is true that um, the first operators that grew, grew with a more premium offer because that's how they needed to go to develop their concepts, right? But um, now that they, if you look at the collective, for example, now that they've grown and reached a certain status on the market, they are working really hard on affordability and they have stipends and they have inter- intermediate um, levels of rent, moderate income housing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. If you look at Common in the US, Common has uh, launched NOAA last year, which is workforce housing. Um, colonies in France is going the same route. So I think it's on every operator's radar, but people just don't know it. By people, I mean the the public, you know, people who learn about co-living. And it's important for us to keep saying it. Yes, affordability matters to us. And we're getting there, but it's a little bit of a process. Um, And it's a complicated issue. Everybody knows about it. So we're getting there. But I think we need to keep working on it harder and harder. Second, evolution. We talked about it as families. I'm very curious, but it's a bit more than curious. Um, I want to know and I want to experiment. I want to know if it's feasible and I want to experiment it myself. Common has launched Kin in the US. Um, Northern Europe has had uh, family oriented co living for decades. Uh, Switzerland, too. Colonies again in France is is working on it. So I think it's coming. Uh, We'll see how, for whom, you know, we'll see how it works. But I think that's an exciting evolution. And then, third evolution, which is um, linked to the, the second one, and I guess, made um, visible or pressing with COVID um, are dual or multiple residences and the possibility to maintain several homes for people who uh, wanna be able to live close to their company's office sometimes and then live somewhere else wherever they wanna be some other times. Um, And that's something I've discovered is quite frequent in Paris. Actually, a third of people under 30 and a third of people over 55 um, do have two homes. They fiscally maintain two homes, so they have two home addresses. Um, That must be very cumbersome in in many ways, but surely co-living can facilitate that. So is there is there a new co-living concept where instead of having one room somewhere, you have several rooms in several somewheres? Question mark. I like this a lot. I mean, it taps a
1: little bit in the in the next question I was going to ask you, which was like, how can co-living develop in the future and what innovation are you waiting for? So this could be one of them for sure. How do you see that working? I'd, I'd like to pick your brain on that. Well, it's an extremely yeah. interesting concept. I know there's many, many, uh, especially the big co-living operators, they are tapping into different countries and that they, they are kind of like developing more of a you pay example. You know, you quoted Common before. I don't know if they are doing it, but just to give an example, you know, you pay, you know, like, I don't know. I said, what well, Selena is doing that actually now. Selena is doing that where you pay a certain amount of money depends the how, um, how do I say, you know, how high spec you want your mm-hmm. room. So it can be like a shared room. It could be your own room. It can be an executive room, et cetera. And then you can decide where to move in any of their available location around, yeah one country or even one continent, yeah. you can say, well, you know, I want to stay one month here, one week there. As long as there is an availability, you can just book and move it and you don't have to move anything else like sign a new lease or, you know, moving that sort of thing. It's just very interchangeable. Yeah. And I already think that is brilliant. But this that you just brought, that's a different level.
2: Yeah. So I think it's a different a different user experience. What you were talking about is, I, I call it or we call it um, at Keys, um, digital nomad co-living or digital nomad hotels, right? That's what Outside does too. And Outside is also one of the first co-living operators in the US. They have basically home working houses or remote working houses everywhere in the world Actually, I think they have 27 right now, so it's a pretty large network. And you can, as a member, you can have a monthly subscription, and you do move from place to place based on availability. Who's that? Um, Sorry, repeat me the name. Outsight. Outsight. Okay. Um, Rome was also doing that, but I think they went out of business. But they were uh, pretty famous at some point in the last few years. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's only suitable to those people who can be completely remote, right? Oh, totally. Um, Which is still not the majority of people on Earth (laughs) and in cities. Um, Now, I think you have a more common um, habit or life experience or lifestyle that could settle after COVID, which is... Um, you decide to live in a small city because it offers a better quality of life, right? But your work is in the, the nearest capital city or big city. So you do still have to go to the office from time to time. Maybe it's two days a week. Maybe it's one week uh, or two per month. Maybe it's one month every six months. I don't know what, whatever pace your company requires, but it's, it's frequent. It's a regular schedule. Um, And you can plan ahead. Right. Um, So in that setup, you could imagine that you have either your own home, traditional home or um, a space in a co-living site in the small city you live in. So let's say you have you are a family let's say, let's say it's my family. So we live in a small city. Um, We have a great quality of life. We have more space that we could have in a global city. We're close to nature. We have a great community, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, It can be a co-living setup. It can be something else, but then one, um, every other week I need to go to Paris for my work. Well, i can go there let's say my partner is on the same schedule and there's some sort of solution for my kids to be babysat (laughs) um one week every every other week i can travel to paris and stay in maybe not an entire unit but maybe in an ensuite bedroom in a great co-living space Um, and stay there and while I'm there then my space in the smaller city is rented out and you know the the specifics and details are to be determined Uh, definitely not um, well defined in my mind yet but people do it already Um, and certainly there's efficiency to be found uh, thanks to co-living so I think it's something to think about. I totally
1: agree. I, uh, I'm smiling. Um, uh, obviously people are only listening to podcasts, they can't see me, but I'm smiling because for me, that's not just going to mean even more freedom in, you know, everybody, even like you said, you know, you are, you are a mother. So you are already thinking even as a mother with a kid and everything, how can I, you know, work towards a, a future, you know, a world uh, in the future that will allow me to, to be more flexible, like if I were a single digital nomad. And why not, you know, yeah. why not? We have all the resources to do it, but what makes me smile the more, sorry, the most, is the fact that I think we are changing people's mentality of that sort of, which I believe also is very ancient in within the real estate of it's my home and only I am staying into my home. I'm not going to let someone I don't know coming into my home, which already has been disrupted greatly by Airbnb many years ago, Mm -hmm. which was like, no, why don't you open your door to random strangers and they pay you a bit of money, let them come in. And, you know, I remember back in the days, I was one of the first users of Airbnb amongst my friends and a lot of people were like, going to people's houses you don't know anything I can't believe these people are letting you coming in and I'm like it's awesome it's yeah. such a great experience and it's it's so exciting for me to see that we are changing towards that sort of world which is a world I want to live in which is yeah yes okay I own this house maybe but I mean yeah you use it and I'm gonna go and use it somewhere else's and that sort of like sharing economy, I love it. I love it. Yeah, well, you know,
2: economists say that whoever they are, whatever their resources, people tend to optimize their resources and the, their means to um, make the best out of their situation. Right. And that's the way I look at it. Um, it's not. I don't think it's so much our mindsets that are changing our needs have always been the same. And I mean, at least those kind of basic needs is related to housing. It's just that we have optimized our lives so much. I mean, to to so, so much extent to fit in the current infrastructure that we have access to, meaning the current housing market in the cities that our jobs in that we have forgotten about what we really want or what we could do or what we could want, you know, whichever it is, or what we could want sometimes, it doesn't matter. Um, but we have forgotten to ask ourselves that question. And when you, um, th- there are a number of surveys that are being published right now. And you see that if you ask people if they would want a shared living setup in France because they're grumpy, <laughs> they usually say no. Um, but if you immerse them into the situation, right, if you show them what it could be and explain to them how it could work for them. So basically, if you show them that you have the tools to make it feasible logistically and economically for them, then they start rethinking and they usually say yes. Uh, And so it's, it's, that's actually very tricky because I'm a big proponent of, um, users survey and research and basing real estate product on user demand, but sometimes, especially in those kind of new ways of life, you have to explain to the users what they could want, (laughs) what their options are, because they don't necessarily see them because we're so stuck in in the current system, right? Uh, And I think that's maybe part of the challenges also for co-living, right? To make that very clear. And um again, you're tapping
1: into my next question, which I think we kind of replied, but feel free to add more if you want to, which was going to be what potential do you see for the co-living ecosystem? Uh, but mainly I would be very interested to know what might do you want to leave? So what mark does, you know, Claire want to leave um, in the Colivian That's world? Actually,
2: actually a very tough question. Um I'm not sure, to be honest. Um what I wish for co-living is to become mainstream I mean, pretty basically <laughs> a mainstream housing solution, just like co-ops or student housing has become mainstream. Now what I want for housing might be a bit different and more ambitious than just co-living. And I think I, I want housing to be as flexible and enjoyable as the other consumer products that we have access to in our in today's world. And it's it's very controversial to speak about housing as a consumer product. And I at least in France or in urban planning. But I do think that it is a consumer product. Yes, it needs to be protected because the right to have a home is something very important, but um, but we need as professionals to think about it as a consumer product so we can find better solutions. So, I guess that's my bigger hope.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the HAAS, so house as a service movement has already started. And uh I I really agree with that as well. I really think it's a consumer product. I really think it should be offered as a service. Um and yes, absolutely to take into consideration what you say everybody has a right to a home and, you know, the whole thing. Right. But I think the fact that we I am very excited personally to be living this sort of revolution, in a certain way, if we want to call it, or evolution, actually, of these sorts of things, because to me, it actually will mean higher standard. Because once you start to bring a service in, then people will want to start to have standards. It's not going to be anymore the question of oh, I just need a place to stay in. I don't know the fifth Aruti I never remember how you say it in Paris it. <laughs> uh, because I work there, so I need there. And okay, fine, that's the only thing I'm going to find, and I'm just yeah. gonna take that. It's gonna be more like well, no, actually, you know, this is all the offers that I've got. You know, this is the standard that now my service needs to be and this is what i'm expecting the same as hotels the same as everything else so totally agree on that
2: yeah um yeah maybe to, to build upon that i i mean this kind of access over membership access over ownership sorry um issue or change or shift is one of my favorite um topics of discussion it's um, it is happening and it's Airbnb, it's Spotify, it's Uber, it's uh drivey and all of the car sharing system, et cetera, et cetera. And it can be applied to housing probably. And, um, and ownership in housing might be a bit outdated. I mean, it has two roots to me. One is savings and it's important to bring financial uh, stability to households who need it and want it um the second one is having a place of your own that you can do whatever you want with right to me those two need i mean they've been combined in home ownership and people don't really disassociate them anymore but they need to be separated right yes if you want a playground to build your your dream house and uh you know have the perfect life, go ahead and do it, obviously. And having your own home might be the best solution for you to do that. But as you just said, maybe in the future, there's a home, a consumer product home that uh, addresses exactly your desires because the market has diversified. So keep an eye on what's out there, right? And the second issue, which was savings, well, if you if you read what people say in um, economy, you uh, it takes two seconds to figure out that investing in a, in your own home is probably the worst way to save, <laughs> um, maybe not the worst, but it's definitely not the best. Um, and again, northern European countries, which are always better at everything. Um, they have diversified savings for most of their population, right? And so instead of investing as an individual in housing, you can now invest in profit, professionally managed real estate portfolios. So that, so the, the population puts and shifts the responsibility of maintaining quality real estate to professionals, which is where it should be. You know, it's a job and it's an expertise Um, and they get to enjoy the financial benefits of it and allocate the rest of their resources to stuff that actually matters more to them or benefits them more financially, uh, such as life insurance, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's, there's a lot of learning to do on how to reach Financial stability outside of housing, so we can finally start to think about how we ditch home ownership.
1: That's fantastic. And, you know, it's a vision of the world that I am so excited to be able to see. But um, I'm going to bring you back one second to Coliv. Um, and, um, you know, you, obviously you were one of the uh, three musketeers, you know, uh, of the original team in, uh, back in 2016 when you guys decided to do that. And still, I thank you very much for this. Currently, you're still very much part of Colive. You are right now serving as an executive member and a, and a really, really, you know, priceless advisor. Um, would you like to tap a little bit in what do you do? How can people get involved even more with Colive? with all the initiative that, you know, we still put out there. And if there is anything in particular that you're planning to do in 2021.
2: Yeah. So I knew you were going to ask that question and I have to answer. I don't do much, (laughs) not anymore, at least, and not compared to you. Um, But I guess
1: it's very important to have you there and knowing that we can tap into your amazing knowledge at any time.
2: Uh, well, I'm happy to be there, and I guess it's part of my job um, as a birthing mother of that baby co-living. <laughs> um, no, I, I, yes, I do mostly advise to you guys, the executive team, um, on whatever you may need and I may know, um, and then I act as a public speaker on behalf of co-live. That's, that's most of, a, of my involvement right now. Uh, this year, this past two years, actually, we've been working closely with MIPIN, uh which is the biggest real estate conference in Europe. So we've been moderating a lot of panels and giving a lot of lectures, and that's um, actually a great way to put the word out there about co-living and invite people to join. Um, I do try my best to support the network's growth. Uh, And what I think is the most important is the quality of our content. Um, There is a ton of content available at the moment, thanks to you all. Um, The books, the meetups, the different uh, task forces, obviously the people. Um, and soon, or maybe already, the onboarding program, I think that's what I'm most excited about for 2021. In fact, uh, a lot of us at KEYS are going to go through this 10-week onboarding program, and I'm going to join, and and I'm very excited about that. I think that's a great way for um, people that are interested in co-living, whether they know a lot about it or not, to get acquainted with co-live as a network, and then co living as a subjective expertise, um, and that uh, the foundation of co live is to think about co living as a multidisciplinary um, movement. Uh, and so that this onboarding program has been designed with multiple expertise and experts coming and talking to you, right from real estate, to finance, to community management, to design, to uh, fiscal problems, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's very important for people to keep in mind that in order for co-living to be a good product, it needs to be holistic, right? Holistically designed. And um, that's, I believe, and I hope perfectly done in, in the onboarding program.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for mentioning the onboarding program. I know the the team behind it has been working very hard and I'm also looking forward to be a part of it. Um, Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that are going to be a little bit game changing for the industry. And I love the fact that what we focus on very much is bringing the whole ecosystem together and empowering it. And it's, uh, it's something that still drives me and gives me a lot of passion for everything that I do with Collive. Um So I really appreciate your time. I know you are a very very busy lady, and you know I I am I'm so grateful that you gave us all this knowledge. You shared all of your vision.
2: I'm the one. To be I grateful.
1: I thought before that you were, uh, you know, a visioner I, after today's chat, I am a hundred percent sure that you are, and I can't wait to live, uh, you know, and to witness the world that you are envisioning. Um, obviously, you mentioned before that co-leave and co-leaving in a sort of way, has helped you reach some of your professional goals because uh, it was one of your way in, let's say, Keys uh, as a company as well. But I would like to know uh, if you have any personal or even exterior success story that you would like to share as, um, you know, wrapping up of our chat together.
0: Um,
2: I don't know. (laughs) Maybe if I can just jump back to your previous comment. A, you're you're way too kind with me. I don't deserve all those compliments. Uh, But I think what's visionary, or the vision that's um, inspiring is the collective vision of co right? And that's what's powerful about this network, it's that it's a collective and that we grow our ideas together to become better professionally and personally, but obviously, especially professionally. (laughs) Um, So maybe that's my success story, you know? I'm, I'm beyond grateful for the people I've met um, working at CoLive, running CoLive, and now um, interacting with the CoLive network, obviously for what I've learned also. But I think that the biggest success is that amount of collective knowledge that we are able to nurture and cultivate and grow together that make us a bit better than anyone outside of the network. Yeah, I mean, wow. Uh, I'm
1: such a great supporter of not just the Kaleven industry, but women in the industry. And I know sometimes when I repeat it, people say that, you know, it's a bit one sided. I don't care. I I am.
2: Yeah, me too. I actually wanted to uh, bounce back on your comment earlier, but I forgot. But yes, I love that you brought that up. I'm very proud of being a woman in real estate, um, of being a mother in real estate. And I think it makes a difference. It's so much tougher. (laughs) So, um, yes, I think we need to keep bringing it up. I am so happy to see so many of us
1: really kind of like making a lot of space in the industry because of those soft skills, not just You know, how brilliant, you know, some of the women have done in their academic, you know, journey through their university bachelor degrees and everything, which is fantastic. But also through our soft skills, which are becoming more and more essential for the
2: world we are leading into. I I agree. And I think understanding the product is absolutely essential and that may be something uh, women are better at in co-living but i have to add that it doesn't uh eliminate the need for fighting and being aggressive to get those projects on and running and on the ground and that's also something women can do very well totally (laughs) watch this space. yeah more women-led co-living organizations correct
1: Well, again, thank you very much for your time. And we are uh, recording this one halfway through December. So I am going to wish you a fantastic holiday season ahead and uh, a great 2021. Hoping that we will be able to meet in person. That'd be great. Um, Either in London or in Paris then. Yes. Welcome into London all the time. My favorite city in the world. I love it too, actually. Um, I would love to come. (laughs) Oh, really?
2: Thank you, Kate. Um, Again, thank
1: you very much. It was a beautiful chat and I am really looking forward to being able to meet you personally very, very soon and maybe to participate to some events together.
2: Uh, Yeah, please let me know. Um, I have been way too busy the last few months, but I'm hoping to have more time in 2021. So uh, please let me know if there's anything I can help with.
1: Yeah, I definitely will. No worries. I'm never worried about asking. So thank you very much for your time. I I'll speak to you very soon. Bye-bye. Au revoir. Au revoir.
0: Thanks again for joining us today. And from all of us here at CoLive, we hope you learned a lot and maybe even picked up a few pieces of wisdom to help expand the co-living movement. To check out the CoLive membership that will allow you to connect with other leading co-living professionals or even just to stay updated on future podcasts and upcoming events, Head over to coliv.org. Again, that's co-liv.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode.